The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. I was during worship. The Lord was just kind of giving me a, a, a visual image in my mind of, I don't know, it's just cool. I was, I was uh, picturing the Lord uh, like a dad just sitting there just with a smile. I don't know why I'm getting emotional. It's just the love of a father with his children sitting around him singing. And he's just smiling going, this is awesome. Oh, that's great. Uh, wow. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, so we're in the book of Romans and we have been beat over the head for a month uh, about how um, guilty we are in our sin. And uh, so I want to review where we are in this, in this book so that we can understand what Paul is saying. And today, if you are here, the Lord has you here on possibly one of the most, if not the most important message that you will ever hear in your entire life. And you cannot say that often without being exaggeration. And I'm not exaggerating. Uh, and it's not about me. It's about the content of God's word that we're looking at today, which is the content of the gospel um, Paul's been writing this letter to the church in Rome, and he began in verses 1 through 15 explaining that he is absolutely transformed by this gospel. And he says, man, it's, it's totally changed my life. It's, it's how I identify myself. Uh, the, this call to go and share this message is the defining characteristic of my identity. And he is so eager to preach this gospel. Verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to those of you who are in Rome. Why? In verse 16 and 17 he explains, well, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. How is a person saved? But through the power of the gospel for everyone who believes. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed and it's revealed from faith to faith, the righteous lives by faith. And so the gospel is the identity that, that is what identifies Paul. He's all about the gospel, and the gospel is all about God's righteousness. And then he goes, let me explain to you why this is so important. It's because we all have a righteousness problem. And that's where he started showing us things that are not easy to receive in one eighteen all the way through verse chapter 2, all the way through chapter 3 up to verse 20. And what he's been saying for the last month is, we all have an unrighteousness problem. We have a righteousness problem. We are all unrighteous. God is righteous. He demands righteousness, perfection, and none of us meet that standard. The atheist who says there is no God... The moralist who says, I'm better than the atheist. And the religious says, I was born in a righteous family. He says, no, 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 no. All of you are in the same boat. Every single one of you are unrighteous and under the condemnation of God. It, it, no one can make themselves right. No one is right. Everyone has the same problem. And then he gets to verse 21 and the beautiful word, but now, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. So let's read the text today. We're going to look at 
3:21 through 26 and Paul has great news for those of us who have been humbled and realized that we are unrighteous and need God's righteousness. He says, "But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ." For all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Whom God displayed as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in the forbearance or tolerance or patience of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Lord, what an amazing text that we're looking at today. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and move in power in every single heart here this morning. No one is here by accident. You have orchestrated the events of their life to be here to hear the most profound message ever given. The message of the gospel. Do a work in every single heart here this morning through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so Paul has spent all this time explaining that we are under the condemnation of God because we are unrighteous. And now he says, but there is a righteousness that's been revealed apart from the law, witnessed by the law and the prophets. And he's going to go on and work through this. So today we're going to look at four aspects of the righteousness of God because the gospel is all about God's righteousness. If you're sharing the gospel... To get yourself off on the right foot, think first of all, first things out of your mouth is it's all about righteousness. And that will kind of define a category for your thought as you work through the gospel and concepts of the gospel. The first thing he's going to say is, he's going to look at in verse 21, the witnesses of God's righteousness. He says there's, there's witnesses of God's righteousness. Verse 21, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So what he's saying here is the gospel is all about God's righteousness. It, is, it manifests God's righteousness. Remember what he said in 117? I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God's salvation. Everyone who believes for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So he's saying this gospel manifests the righteousness of God. It reveals that the righteousness of God is available by faith. But then he's saying something else. But he says, I want you to know this. I'm not making this up. This is not something new. This is not a new message that Paul has come up with. You see, a lot of people want to try to throw Paul's teachings out because it's very convicting. And they're like, well, who's Paul? You know, Paul this, Paul that. Let's get rid of Paul and that way we can get rid of three quarters of the New Testament. Well, he says, well, guess what? The whole Old Testament is about this same message. Jesus said this similar, similar point in John 5, 46. Jesus is saying the Old Testament testifies to this same gospel. 
Jesus said this in John 5, 46. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, Jesus says, for Moses wrote about me. And then in verse 47, he goes on, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus says, listen, your first five books of your Bible, what Moses wrote, the Pentateuch, is all about Jesus. You're like, Jesus, what? They didn't even know the name of Jesus. He's saying, you read that and you should see righteousness is available by faith. So he's saying this is not a new concept. If you want to believe what I say, believe what Moses wrote in the Old Testament. In Galatians 3.8, Paul says the whole scriptures, the Old Testament, preach the gospel. This is not a new message. Paul says in Galatians 3.8, the scripture foreseeing God would justify Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. So, Paul is saying that when you read your Old Testament and God came and made covenant with Abraham, that was the gospel. God was saying, if I do this through you, I will... will," He didn't say if. He says, when I do this through you, this is how I will reconcile humanity to myself. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's the gospel. What did, what did God promise Abraham and Sarah when they were old and barren? He said, I will make a nation of people come from you. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your seed. Abraham said, okay, if you say so. And he trusted God. And it says, and that was credited to him as righteousness. That's the gospel. And Paul says that that is the scriptures preaching the same gospel that I'm preaching. So Paul's point is the whole Old Testament witnesses, testifies to the same gospel that Paul has been preaching, which is you are made right with God through faith, not through works, not through birthright, not through moralism, not through anything you can do, but only through faith. So we have to ask the question, well, wait a minute now. If they didn't even know the name of Jesus, how did this Old Testament testify to this gospel of righteousness by faith? Well, I get made fun of a lot in this church because I always go back to Genesis. But that's because that's how your Bible works. You go through your Bible and you see to understand the end, you have to know the beginning. To understand what God's doing and what he's all about, you have to know the whole Bible. The Bible is a book. It's to be read as a book from beginning to end. Not just random verses out there that are important and meaningful, but what is the whole story? So let's just work through this. In in the beginning, you see God's plan, like we talked about in the baby dedication, to fill the earth with his glory. How is he going to do that? What was the type of earth he's talking about? He's talking about this earth we live in before there was sin. It was perfect, beautiful, the best day on earth you could ever imagine times a gazillion. That's a theological term. You've got to know how beautiful this earth was. It's part of God's plan is for us to enjoy this amazing creation. But it was enjoyed only properly when he was supreme. He was trustworthy. He's the one that we go to as the source of all blessings. And so as they were trusting him, enjoying him supremely, they were in his glory. They were participating in his glory, in his righteousness, in his goodness. And they were fulfilling his will as they trusted him, obeyed him, 
and subdued the earth. And he said, now have children and teach them to do the same. Fill this earth with my glory through a family of people worshiping God to his glory. It's a beautiful plan, a beautiful picture. Great, great plan that God has for us. And he says, it's going to happen. That's what he's restoring. A new heavens, a new earth, where his people enjoying him supremely, participating in his glory, revealing his greatness, his goodness, as they trust and enjoy him and obey him on this earth. Now, in the middle of that story, that was Genesis to Revelation. Now, in the middle, there's a problem. In Genesis 3, there was sin and rebellion. They failed to trust God, therefore they disobeyed God, therefore they forfeited this relationship they had, they lost His glory, they lacked His glory, they fell short of His glory. From that point on, they did not, the, the sin, the, the earth was contaminated by sin. Literally, when things rust, that's because of sin. When things decay, that's because of sin. The earth was affected by it, humanity was affected by it, the wages of sin is death. For earth, for humanity, all things were unraveling because of that. And God at that moment in time had every right, was perfectly just to say condemnation to you all and wipe us out. But instead, in Genesis 3.15, the first earliest gospel promise, he comes to the woman and he says to the seed of the woman, I will give a child who will crush the head of the serpent enemy and who will be bruised, his heel will be bruised in the process. That's talking about Jesus. Earliest gospel promise. This seed of a woman will crush Satan and though he will be bruised, death on the cross, burial, resurrection, in the process. So we see God graciously and mercifully providing a promise of gospel restoration. And then he comes to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. His name was Abram. It's later changed to Abraham. But God says to him, through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. Abraham believed it was credited to him as righteousness. There's the gospel promise. There's the picture of the gospel. God makes a promise. The worshiper trusts in God and gets credited God's righteousness. Then the story continues when you get Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's a whole lot in there, but I want to emphasize one point. At the end of Moses' writings, Deuteronomy 34, it says, yet there's still not one like Moses who has come. And so you start looking for a prophet like Moses, the seed of a woman, the seed of Abraham, a prophet like Moses. The story continues and we see all kinds of wonderful narrative of stories of God interacting with his people. But God comes to a king, King David, and he says, you who are a son of Abraham, you will have a son. He will, this is 2 Samuel 7, he will be a king. He will be an eternal king. He will be the son of David and he will be a divine king, the son of God. And so we're looking for this seed of a woman, a prophet like Moses, the seed of David, the seed of God, who is an eternal king, who will establish God's righteous reign and rule and restore and redeem all that was messed up because of sin. All of that points us to trust in Jesus. You get to Matthew, the first book of your New Testament, 
The Old Testament closes, the Old Testament law and prophets closes with a longing for this Messiah. Who is this seed? Who is this seed of the woman? The seed of Abraham, the seed of David, the son of God who will, Isaiah 53, suffer and die and redeem and pay the price like a sacrificial limb, lamb, like the sacrifices we see in the Old Testament. Who is he? Where is he? Matthew 1, 1. What does it say? The first verses of your New Testament. This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here he is. He's the son of God. He's the redeemer. He's the eternal king. He's the seed of Abraham. He's the seed of David. He will be the one who establishes God's righteous kingdom, restores the heavens and the earth and a people unto himself to reign and rule with him forever, restoring God's righteousness on earth. This is the Old Testament. Hadn't even got to the New Testament yet. It's a beautiful work inspired by God. So that's the message, the witnesses of God's righteousness. The witnesses of God's righteousness. Now we see the recipients of God's righteousness. Look at verses 22 and 23. We see who are the recipients of this righteousness that the gospel manifests and that the Old Testament testifies to. Verse 22, we see the recipients of God's righteousness, even the righteousness of God through faith, In Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who are the recipients of God's righteousness? All who believe. Not some who believe, not most who believe, all who believe. Not some who work, I mean, not all who work, not all who are good, not all who are religious, not all who were born to a certain family, not all of a certain race, not all of a certain denomination, not all of a certain church. All who believe the message that the Old Testament just told us. Now, in verse 23, Paul gives us the reason that God makes no distinction. He doesn't make any distinctions. It doesn't matter what race you are, what economic class you are, what church you are, what what family you grew up in, how good you are, how what baptism you had. It doesn't matter how much scripture you know. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. There's no distinction. Why? But because all have sinned. So he's been talking about for the last month. For all have sinned and all have fall short of the glory of God. Now that verse, fall short, that word is a present tense word meaning lacking. So he says, the reason there's no distinction, the reason the recipients of God's righteousness are all who believe is because all are continually falling short. All are continuing lacking the glory of God. If you are in that condition of lacking the glory of God, it doesn't matter how many times you take communion, how many times you're baptized, how many scripture verses you memorize, you still are lacking the glory of God. And that's the problem. You've got to have the glory restored. You've got to have the righteousness restored. It's not about your doing, it's about your being right with God. 
And so he says, listen, all who believe are recipients of God's righteousness because all have sinned and all are lacking the glory of God. So we see the witnesses of God's righteousness. We see the recipients of God's righteousness, all who believe in the one promised. And now we see the source of God's righteousness. Buckle up your seatbelts, get your pens out, get your paper out. There are three big, fancy theological terms in this verse. Do not check out on me right now. This is the most important information you can ever write down. Borrow your child's crayon. Do whatever it takes. If you cannot explain this, And you can't explain the gospel. If you do not understand this, you do not understand the gospel fully. If you do not appreciate this, then you don't appreciate exactly what's going on in the gospel. So please, enjoy this. Surf through the words and let's get to the heart of the gospel. Because that's what these are. Frank, we jokingly, lovingly, hey Frank, I love you. We call him Frank the Tank. Frank, before the earlier service, said, uh, Pastor, get this one right. <laughs> I said, I, as opposed to the other ones. But the point is, this is really the heart of it all. I love you, Frank. All right, so verse 24, the source of God's righteousness. You and I have a righteousness problem. How will it be fixed? Where is the source of God's righteousness. Who is the source of God's righteousness? Verse 24, being justified, that's our first word we're going to look at, as a gift. It's a gift by His grace, unmerited favor, unearned blessing. It is a gift, not earned. It's a gift by His grace, not deserved, not merited. Through the redemption, we're going to look at that second big word, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Wow. All right, these verses are packed full with very important information which gets at the heart of salvation and the source of God's righteousness. We're going to look at justified Redemption, propitiation, three words that I don't care if you can say those words, but understand what they mean. Paul says in verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace. God's righteousness is the term justified is at the root of that term is the same root word for righteous, righteousness. It's the righteousness family of words. So you could say being righteous as a gift by His grace. There's a righteousness problem. The gospel reveals that the righteousness is by faith. You're unrighteous, but there's a righteousness apart from the law. You can be righteous as a gift by His grace. Paul's been making this point. You can't make yourself right with God. You're not the source of your righteousness. You can't fix the problem. The good news of the gospel is God 
is the source of your righteousness. God will make believers righteous. He will declare them righteous and he will eventually make them completely righteous. He will restore the way we were before sin ever entered the world. So God is the source. Well, let's press a little deeper. How is God the source? If you want to write down justified, then you can say declared righteous. How? How can God declare right? How can God make us right with God? Well, what does it mean exactly to be made right with God? Well, from the context, we know what it's not. We know the problem is unrighteousness, being under sin, not being in a right standing with God. So being justified is the reversal of all that. It's not being unrighteous and not under sin and not being in wrong standing with God anymore. Well, how can he do that? Was he just like, wink, wink, nod, nod, elbow, elbow. Hey, it's all good. How how can he do this? Well, continuing in verse 24, being justified, declared righteous as a gift by his grace. He does this through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. What does redemption mean? The word redemption is is the idea of a ransom by the payment of a price, to be ransomed by the payment of a price. We know this idea when we hear about in every good um, thriller movie where someone's been kidnapped, they demand a ransom. Someone pays the ransom and that person is set free. That's the idea of ransom. But where does he get this? He isn't watching the movies we're watching. Where did he get this from? Well, this comes from the Old Testament concept of when individuals got into debt that they couldn't pay off, they had to become enslaved to the person they owed the money to until they worked off their debt. Well, if someone came in and cut a check to that person, the person enslaved would be set free. They would be ransomed. They would be redeemed by a payment of a price. And so what he's saying, what did he tell us last week? We are all under what? We are all under sin. We are all unrighteous, under sin. The power of sin is like a slave master over us. We are all enslaved and obligated to sin and the sin debt that we could not pay. And so he says, God declares you righteous. God makes you right with God. God credits your account with God by, through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, how does Christ Jesus redeem us? How does, his, how does he pay our price? How does he settle our sin debt? How does he free us from the obligation of sin? That's what he says next, being justified as a gift, not by works, by a gift, by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now, what in the world is the word propitiation? This is a word also drawn from the Old Testament sacrificial system. Inherent in the sacrificial system was the need to satisfy the condemnation and the wrath of God. 
Remember the story as you read it? We, we, we saw Exodus and Hebrews. We've seen this over and over. A people wanting to be close to God, his fiery presence on the top of the mountain. And what are they doing? They're withdrawing from him because they know he's holy. I'm not. We got a problem. He's righteous. We're unrighteous. We got a problem. So God gave them a sacrificial system that allowed them to dwell in his presence and live to tell about it. Not to be completely consumed by his wrath immediately. How did he do that? He did it through a sacrificial system. And what was the sacrificial system? He said, I will accept temporarily, I'll accept a substitute. The wages of sin is death. So I will take the death of an animal that would represent innocence. An innocent animal would be slaughtered. And the blood of that animal on the Day of Atonement was sprinkled on something called the mercy seat. The mercy seat was a cover over the Ark of the Covenant. Indiana Jones, anybody ever seen it? I need to bring that movie back so we can understand this stuff. So the Ark of the Covenant. There was like three of y'all that raised your hand. Okay, that's sad. I'm old. All right, so Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. On top of there was a cover, and there was a, it was called the mercy seat. And that's where they sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice, not on the work seat, not on the earning righteousness seat, but on the mercy seat. It's all based on God's mercy that he would accept a substitute death, substitute blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And so that blood, as a substitute sprinkled on God's mercy, held off the condemnation, held off the wrath of God. And we've seen this. It's like a... a, Building up of the wrath of God. It's a restraining of this weight of the condemnation of God that was rightly deserved for sin. And and that was a great gift of God's mercy and grace to allow them to be in his presence, to worship him, to enjoy him, to taste what it's going to be like. The substitute substitute sacrifice, that blood given to God on the mercy of God provided Away for them. Now the Greek word for that mercy seat is propitiation. He's saying, listen. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly for all to see. He displayed him publicly as the blood sprinkled on the mercy of God. The propitiation in his blood. And so that is how it all comes together. That God redeems unrighteous from their enslavement to sin, from their obligation to sin with a price. And what is the price? It's the blood of Jesus. How does that pay the price? Because death and condemnation is the right punishment. And God said, I'm the source. I am in the person of Jesus Christ, will come and I will give my own infinitely holy blood to pay the price that you should have to pay. I will be your substitute sacrifice. And it's a gift of God's grace based solely on the mercy of God. So when we pull all this together, we see amazing message of the gospel. God in Jesus is the source of righteousness for all believers. Based solely on his mercy and grace, 
God and Jesus died on the cross as the innocent substitute sacrifice, absorbing the wrath of God. He didn't just deny it. He absorbed it like like a whole burnt offering. He completely satisfied the wrath of God. He absorbed the condemnation of God. We were under that condemnation and he absorbed the condemnation so that now those who believe there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's been poured out on Jesus. So now we get to the proof of God's righteousness. The witness of a righteousness by faith through the seed. The recipients, all who believe and trust in the seed because they know that God is the source. He purchases them from their obligation to sin by the blood of Jesus Christ who absorbed, consumed, received the condemnation of God. Now, the question is, How can this be right? How can God be righteous and letting guilty criminals off the hook? How can he be righteous in tolerating all of that sin in his forbearance, tolerating sin after sin after sin after sin all those years? How can he be right to tolerate your sin for all of your life? And my sin, all that I've done, how can he be a righteous judge and forgive me? He says in verse 25, the second part, this was to demonstrate his crucifixion of Jesus publicly on the cross was to demonstrate God's righteousness. Wait, what? Because in the forbearance of God, in his tolerance, in his patience, In the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. I know that's the problem. You see, we don't ask this question, do we? We say, how come God did this? I deserve better. We question the justice of God when we don't get what we think we deserve. But nobody comes to me and says, how is God just to forgive me when I don't deserve it? We don't ask that question. We don't say, how can God be just and let guilty sinners go free, scot-free? That's the question being answered here. He says, because God displayed Christ on the cross to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins, all those sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So here's Paul's argument. You think God's not just because he ignored and didn't deal with all the sins of the past. He says, wrong. All of that led to the moment that Jesus hung on the cross. And that's when all the wrath and condemnation and punishment was poured out on that sin. He did punish the sin. He doesn't just ignore it, doesn't just dismiss it. He took your sin, if you're a believer, and he punished himself for it in the person of Jesus. He absorbed the wrath. He was condemned as your condemnation. It's not some strange ignoring of a problem. 
It's not sweeping it under the rug. He consumed the wrath of God for you and for me. And that's good news. And that's how he's just. And that's how he's right. Because he is just, he demands the punishment, and he's the justifier by taking the punishment. And so he's righteous to do that. And so the point Paul's making is, this is the heart of the gospel. That God is the source of righteousness. And he stepped in as the substitute sacrifice and he took in Jesus all the condemnation that you and I deserved for our sin. He poured it out on Jesus so that you and I could be declared righteous. Now you know the gospel. Now you understand the meat of the gospel. The good news that God is just and the justifier. God is just to punish sin, but by punishing himself in Jesus, he satisfies his own wrath so that he can purchase you and me from your obligation to sin and to make you right with himself if you will receive this gift of mercy and grace by faith. That's the only question. Is that your hope? Is that what you're trusting in? Only in God providing Jesus for you. My prayer is that during this last song, it's not just uh, tradition. It's not just, okay, we're done now. We're transitioning out. That you will do business with God. Like I said, there is no more important message. This is it. You either accept this or you reject it. And there is no in-between. There is no, all of us in here without excuse now, it has been laid out crystal clear. The question is, are you trusting only in Jesus? I mean, how much, is there any better good news than this? If we believe this, it should transform our life. It should change everything. In a minute, we're going to sing, and then I'm going to invite the team up. We're going to Africa Tuesday because of this. People go to Nicaragua because of this. People go to work, and they share their faith despite the persecution they may face because of this. Parents raise their kids differently to stand against the grains of culture because of this. This changes everything. Everything that God loves us so much that he would take the condemnation that we deserve so that we can be declared right with God so that we can just trust him and be made righteous. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.